So use this time uh, as we open your word. Change our hearts. Transform us into the people you designed us to be. I pray for our children as they head back to their worship time that today they would grow to love and trust you even more because of your spirit working in them. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. At this point, we're going to dismiss our kids to go back to OPBC Kids Worship. So you guys are free to head on back. And I pray that you guys have an awesome time back there. And we pray for our teachers back there as well. Next week, we begin our new series in Exodus. And so I know you're excited about that. I'm really excited to jump in to Exodus and to explore this story of redemption as it continues. Uh, We had the story of beginnings in Genesis, and now in Exodus we're going to begin to look at this story of redemption as as things unfold with the people of God. But we got to remember today, uh, today we're closing out our three-part series on mission and vision as a church, and so we want to just kind of nail down a couple of things really practical, make sure we understand when we say that our mission as a church is to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus to everyone, especially those who have never heard. And when we say our vision is disciples who make disciples of all nations, and we begin right here in Powhatan County, what does that mean? Last week you were given a couple of very practical tools. A couple of you took advantage of some of that, and I appreciate that. I can track whether you sign up online for the Bless Every Home so I know who did and who didn't. So uh, shame on some of you. Um, You still have the opportunity. I'll send out the link again this week. But we're going to be praying for our communities. We have... We have lots of people in our church who are committing themselves to pray for their neighbors. And I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Because when we say we're making disciples who make disciples, we're starting right here in Powhatan. And that starts with your neighbors. That starts with your friends. That starts with your coworkers, the people you go to school with. It starts with the people around you that God has placed in your lives. So we gave you that tool, the Bless Every Home tool. And we also gave you the card that you filled out. And if you didn't get one, I have some. And we just ask you to put ten names of people, people who... Uh, don't know Christ, people who are close to you but far from God, and that you would pray for them every day. And I know some of you have been doing that, and we're praying that God would change their lives and change their hearts. But today what we want to do is we want to nail down, when we say proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus, when we say we're a gospel people who are going out to make disciples who make disciples, what does that look like? You read with me earlier in the, past, in the, in the service from John chapter 15. John chapter 15 tells us what it looks like to be a follower of Christ and what it looks like to be fruitful in the ministry that God has called us to. He says that if you abide in Him, you will bear much fruit. That's what we read in John chapter 15. So I just want to, at the beginning today, ask you quite simply, do you want to bear fruit? If you would like to bear fruit as a follower of Christ, raise your hand. Okay, this sermon's for you then. Okay, because when we say bearing fruit as followers of Christ, the first fruit that comes up in that passage is love. It's a, it's a love for God's people. It's a love for the gospel. It's a love for the lost. There's a love that comes from God and then flows through us to others. And so we begin to love the people and the things that God loves when we abide in Him. So in John chapter 15, and I encourage you to turn to John chapter 15 if you would. And I also want you to turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 3. So, Mark, if you could back there, just put those up there so everybody can see that. Just go on to John chapter 15 and Mark chapter 3. I want you to see these verses for yourself, and I want you to be reminded, encouraged. I want you to be challenged by these verses. John chapter 15, verses 4 through 8, it tells us Jesus said these words. Not the pastor, not the preacher, not... Jesus said this. So when I tell you these words, and I tell you that... 
You need to abide in Jesus, otherwise you become useless. That's not just me saying it, it's Jesus saying it. And he says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He says that he is the vine, we are the branches. If we abide in him and he abides in us, then we will bear much fruit. For apart from him, we can do Nothing. It's not that we can do a little bit. It's not that we can do some good. He says, apart from me, you can do, everybody say nothing, 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 absolutely nothing for the kingdom can be done apart from abiding in Jesus. And then he goes on to say that if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. They're they're useless. But he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. He says, if you want to glorify the father, you're going to bear fruit. All right, so I'll ask you again. I'll ask it in a different way. How many of you want to glorify God? then you've got to bear fruit. That's the only way to glorify God according to this path. You're going to glorify God by bearing fruit. And what type of fruit are we talking about? Yes, there's the fruit of the Spirit. Yes, there is fruit that comes. But we're talking about laboring here. We're talking about fruit that comes from labor, that comes from the work of the gospel. That's what we're talking about is when we abide in Jesus, the fruit of the gospel ministry actually happens. If you're not abiding in Jesus, you're not going to see people come to faith in Christ. It was just in South Asia, and one of the things we do the first day of training is at the end of the day, we talk about this passage of Scripture, what it is to abide in Christ. We talk about the essential reality of abiding in Christ, that we can accomplish nothing for the kingdom outside of abiding in Christ. And we challenge all of the leaders there, and I challenged them that first night. I said, I want you to go home, and I want you to do two things. They had their oikos list, that list of ten people they were going to pray for, right? And they now were challenged to abide in Christ. I said, I want you to go home, and tonight I want you to, I want you to read through and meditate on and pray through and spend time with Jesus in John chapter 15. That's one. The second thing is that I want you to pick one person from your list, and I want you to have a gospel conversation with them. The next morning we came in and I said, all right, how did it go last night? I said, how many of you had a gospel conversation with someone on your list? And I don't think this was any reflection on the trainer, but two people raised their hands. Okay? Two people raised their hands and said that they had had a gospel conversation with somebody on their list. So what do you think my next question was? How many of you spent time meditating on and abiding with Christ in John chapter 15? Which two people do you think raised their hands? Let me, play, let me just play this out for you really quickly. If you do not, and if I do not abide in Christ, I will not have the desire to bear fruit. Branches that aren't connected to the vine don't bear fruit. And they have no desire to bear fruit. They're useless when it comes to bearing fruit. You and I must spend time abiding with Christ. It, it is essential that we prioritize spending time with Jesus, abiding with Him in prayer and in Bible study daily. If you flip over to Mark chapter 3.14, this is a, another way it was put. Jesus was calling out His disciples who He called apostles. And it says there, He appointed twelve whom He also named apostles so that they might, anybody see it? That they might study with Him be with him 
He appointed 12 to be with him. And you know what? For the next three years, they were with him. And they learned from him because they were with him. They sat around the campfire at night with him. They spent time with their families with him. They, they were abiding with Jesus. Being with Jesus was the primary reason he called them out. And then he said, and then, after they spent time with him, that he might send them out to preach. It is essential for us as believers to understand we need to prioritize spending time with Jesus. But also, we need to passionately proclaim the good news to others. This is why we were created. We're created to be the people of God, to be sent out as the people of God. The more someone spends time with Jesus, the more like Jesus they become. That stands to reason, right? You've experienced this possibly in your marriages. Yesterday, now that soccer season has started in Europe and specifically in England, I was watching soccer. Here's the most amazing thing. Wife sat there and watched. I don't know if she watched. Well, she sat there for the whole game. She may have been on her phone doing something else the entire time. But she sat there and and was with me the whole time. That's a big change from day one of our marriage. She doesn't care a lick about sports. But you know who, what she does care about? She cares about me. Now, sitting through a volleyball match or sitting and watching sports, she's asking questions about what's happening when it used to be a Right? The fact of the matter is, the more you spend time with someone, the more like them you've become. You've experienced this in your life, haven't you? You get the same passions and priorities in your life. You, you get fed and filled by the same things that feed and fill that person. This is the truth of what it looks like to abide in Christ. So I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. I want to exhort you today that everything else I'm going to say today about what it is to go out and proclaim the excellencies of Jesus, you will not have a desire to do if you are not spending time with Jesus. You and I will not desire to see our communities change for Christ if we don't know the Christ we're taking to them. If we don't desire Him above all things, we're not going to desire for others to desire Him. So I challenge you, I, I plead with you, let's... Let's dive in and spend time abiding in Jesus, praying daily, reading the Word daily, meditating on the Word, listening to music that's Word-based so that it's just constantly seeping into our subconscious and we're always spending time with Jesus. just encourage you to be with Him because He's promised to be with you. It's the greatest encouragement that He gave to His church. He says, I'll be with you. When He said, you go and you make disciples. This is what he said. As an encouragement, I will be with you. And we all go, oh, it's great to know that God is near. No, he didn't say he was going to be near. He said he was going to be with. I want that. I desire that. I need that because he is my life. So today, my, my first point is very simple. The more we abide in Jesus, the more like Jesus we become. The more like Jesus we become, the more we will have passion for the things that He's passionate about. The more we will love the things that He loves. And here's what He loves above all. His glory and people. I want to I love and desire His glory above all else, and I want to love people the way He loves people. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 15. John chapter 15 to Luke chapter 15. 
You know, we live in a world that uh, is massive, and even though the Internet and social media seems to make it seem smaller, it's a massive world. How massive? 7.67 billion people in the world. I just remember when it used to be six, right? We were all like six billion people. That wasn't that long ago that we were saying six billion people. 7.67 billion people. 3.19 billion of those people are unreached with the gospel. That means in their people groups and in their nations, there's less than 2% believers among that people group. That 3.40% of the world has little to no access to the gospel. The U.S. population is estimated or is right at 327 million people. And I want you to hear this number because it is staggering. 246 million of those people do not know Christ. Two-thirds of the population of our country do not know Christ. I I was watching a video of freshmen going in for freshman orientation at at Powhatan High School. First of all, when when we picked Kesset up from orientation, I said, how was it? She goes, it was weird. That was the explanation of what it was. It was weird. When I watched the video, I saw exactly what she meant. As they walked in the door, the, the band's playing, right? And I can imagine as a freshman, not used to that, you walk in, the band's playing, everybody's going, oh. And she's like, I don't know what's happening right now. But she was a little, she's like, but you see all of these freshmen come in wide-eyed, and they're all on their phones probably texting the person next to them about how weird this is, right? And uh, they come in, and I was struck, first of all, by, I was like, oh, how adorable. Look at all the freshmen coming in. You know what my next thought was as I was studying for this sermon today? There were about 200 freshmen that walked through that door this week for orientation of the 350 or so that I think will be in the freshman class. But the 200 that were walking in, you know what the estimates are? 125 to 150 of those do not know Christ. That was my next thought. It's overwhelming, isn't it? That's, that should overwhelm us. 7.6 billion people, 3.19 billion unreached, 327 million in the U.S., 246 million lost. Two-thirds of the people, two-thirds of the people in our country not knowing Christ. Sometimes just trying to get our head around those numbers is impossible, isn't it? And we can go, well, what could we possibly do about that? Look at Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And remember, everybody was waiting for a Messiah, this king of kings who was going to take over the throne. And they were thinking big kingdom things. They are thinking, we need a king who's going to take care of the Romans. We need somebody who's going to come and be this prophet, priest, and king. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. So the tax collectors and the sinners are coming to Jesus and the religious people say, What's wrong with this guy? He receives sinners and eats with them. How dare he? Shame on him. And verse 3, so he told them, he told the religious people this parable. I want you to catch this. He told us this parable. Are you with me? This parable was for us in order to understand what Jesus' ministry was all about. It wasn't going to be about being the king of Israel on earth. And it wasn't going to be about being the king that would usurp the Romans. It wasn't going to be the big show that the Pharisees and the scribes loved. He said this, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? This is what he says, I got all of you. 
there's one that's lost. I've got to go find the one. I want you to hear me very plainly. For us, right now, the number is not 7.67 billion. The number is not 3.19 billion. The number is not 246 million. The number is one. Who's God placed in your life that's lost? Because we can talk about unreached peoples all day. Everybody in your life is reached because they have you. Everybody in my life is reached. They have someone there to proclaim the gospel to them. You, me. And we need to be people who are taking the gospel to them. He says, what would you do? You lose one sheep, you go find the sheep. He leaves the 99 in the open country and goes after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he's found it, verse 5, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. He gets happy when he finds the one. He's got 99. Surely he'd be happy with 99. This is not about the 99. It's about the one. And when he finds the one, he places the one on the shoulders. You can imagine that sheep is somebody's baby. Right? And he comes back to the flock with the sheep. The loving shepherd has the sheep on his shoulders and brings the sheep back to the flock. And the sheep know their shepherd's name. And he loves that sheep who just keeps running away. And he rejoices. He rejoices. And he doesn't just rejoice. He goes and he calls together his friends, verse 6, and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. I praise the Lord that we are a church that rejoices when lost people get saved. I have been in churches in my life where you would think that every time somebody gets dunked under the water, it was a funeral. And I know there were days here where clapping was not supposed to be done. I understand that. Those are not these days. We rejoice for what God does. I praise the Lord that you rejoice with people and you rejoice for people and you rejoice because of what God does. We should be the most joyful people because He says, Rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Go on to verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Let Let me put this as plainly as I can. I love worshiping with you guys. I'll just say, standing up here, it sounds very different than anywhere else. Okay? Listening to you guys sing and just blasting the walls, right, with your voices and just singing out, it's a beautiful reality. It brings me great joy. And we're, we're joining our voices with the myriads and myriads of heavenly hosts around the throne praising God without ceasing because He's worthy of praise. And that's amazing. And what this Scripture seems to be telling me is that God gets more joy out of one sinner who repents than He gets out of all of us singing praises to Him. Wow! When was the last time you felt that way about evangelism? We love the experience of worshiping together and we should. We should gather together to encourage one another by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, speaking truth and love to one another. Why? Not so that we can go, did it. It's so that we can go out and proclaim the excellencies of Jesus so that we have something to tell people. So we go and we say there's great joy to be had in Jesus and Jesus is going to rejoice over you. All of heaven rejoices over one who repents and believes. This is a a beautiful truth. Heaven is not looking at 7.67 billion overwhelmed. Heaven is looking at one heart. And isn't that good news for you? Because that's what He did in your heart. That's what He did in my heart. Christ died 
once for all. But He also paid all for one, me, the chief of sinners. That's a beautiful truth in my life. My prayer for you, my prayer for me is that we'll rejoice just like heaven, that we'll be so passionate just like heaven over one person coming to Christ. Verse 8 says, Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? I was trying to find something yesterday, and I'm sure I look like a silly person. Like when I try to find things, I was trying to find Friday and yesterday a book that I needed. And if you know me in books, that's no easy task. Right? And it was a book. It wasn't for me. It was for somebody else. And it's a book that had been put on a shelf somewhere. I could not. I tore my office up. I tore the church up looking for a book. And you know where it was? It was sitting on my bookshelf at home. Of course it was. Of course that's where it was. But I just was scouring everywhere. And you know what? When I found it, I held myself a little party. That's what I did. Nobody else was invited, but I held myself a little party. When I found it, I laid it out to bring to church with me today so I could give it to someone. And I got excited. I was looking around to see if anybody else understood just how excited I was to find that book, but I found the book. It took me hours. I should have called somebody. I should have called Eddie and just said, you know what, I found the book. He would have, what book are you talking about? The fact of the matter is, there is joy that comes when someone is, who's lost is found. And when she found it, verse 9, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you that there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So the numbers I don't, that I want you to walk out of here with are not 7.67 billion and 3.19 billion and 246 million. It's one. One. Do you realize that 85% of people in the American church say they've never led anyone to the Lord? You know the reason why we don't see people, more people getting saved in the American church? It's because we're not sharing You know, people actually don't come to Christ unless somebody goes and tells them about Christ. And I think sometimes we get these huge, giant numbers in our head and we go, ah, the task is too big. But the task for that one person isn't too big. They've been placed in your life. So I'm going to ask you in just a few moments, I'm going to ask you to come up with that one. You have a bookmark. If you didn't get a bookmark, we have some in the back. Mark will make sure you get one. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and pull this out. Hold it up if you have one. Just hold it up. This is your chance to join. First service has already been up here. You can see it. This wasn't just Brad being junky and losing all his papers today. First service has already done this. I want you to be prayerfully considering for the rest of, rest of the time here the person that God is laying on your heart that this next year you're going to intentionally try to have gospel conversations with regularly. It would be great to be able to have one every day, but maybe it's somebody you only see once a week. Maybe it's somebody you do work with every day or you're in school with every day, but you want to talk about Jesus with them every day or every time you see them. That You're going to be intentional about that. You say, well, Brad, I'm scared to do that. Well, here's what I want you to know. Abide with Christ. Abide with Christ and there will be fruit that will, that will come to bear in your life. And one of those fruits is love. You know what that love is going to do? Perfect love does what? Anybody? Cast out fear. So I don't think the issue is fear when it comes to evangelism. I think the issue is we don't abide with Christ. And you say, well, I don't know what to say. Well, you're in luck. I'm about to tell you. Okay? And secondly, you know what happens when you abide in Christ? You know what he says? And his word abides in you. That's what he says. Guess what? You're going to know what to say. 
And when His Holy Spirit is empowering you, He actually says, don't worry about knowing what to say in those moments. This Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak. And the more you abide in Him, the more you trust Him, the more He empowers you to speak. So I want you to think of that one person. You're going to write that person's name here, and you're going to write that person's name here, and you're going to tear off this blue section. You can just fold it over. It tears off. And in just a little while, in solidarity with one another, saying this is what we do as a church, we're going to walk forward as we sing later in the service, and you're going to bring those up front, and we're going to say we're going to commit to pray for these people and commit to pray for each other. I'm going to put them out here. I'm going to hang them up, so please just put first names. I'm going to hang this up out here in the Welcome Center. There's a display out there. And I want to encourage you every time you come to the church to walk by and pick a name to pray for. So you're praying with the people of our church, with the people that they know and love. That's a pretty simple step, right? This isn't like overwhelming. I'm not telling you to go teach a thousand people and lead a thousand people to the Lord. I'm saying God has put one person in your life and in your heart. Let's be faithful to that one person and faithful to that call. So what do we say if we're going to be people who bear fruit? Uh, I want to make this as simple as I possibly can because people are sinners and Jesus is pursuing sinners and there's joy to be had in heaven and for us and for repenting sinners who come to believe in Jesus. So I want you to understand what gospel, what good news you're proclaiming to them. So we're going to really quickly run through what the gospel is. And it's going to be really easy for you to remember because it spells gospel. Okay? See how easy I can make it for you. So what we're really saying is this. The gospel is the good news that the only true holy God who made us He's just and gracious. He's the creator of the universe. He looked upon hopelessly sinful men and women and showed us mercy and grace. He sent His Son, God in the flesh, to die on the cross in our place so that those of us who would repent and believe will have new life. He, was, he rose from the grave so that everyone who turns from their sin and themselves and trusts in Jesus as Savior and Lord, will be reconciled to God as sons and daughters forever and ever. So we start with G. Start with G. G, the gospel is about God and God's character. God is holy. God is righteous. A word that kind of is all-encompassing is the glory of God. God in His glory is the Creator God who created all things good. He's holy and just and powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. He is the only true God. And the good, the good news of the gospel is all about Him. Everything that the Bible teaches about the only true God and therefore uh, everything that we believe about the gospel in the Bible is unintelligible. You can't actually understand it apart from knowing that God is the sovereign, holy God of the universe. All of our gospel presentations have to start with God. And simple ways of doing that would be God is holy. He's perfect. In the beginning, God is all that there was. He's eternal. And He's good and He's perfect and He's holy and He's set apart. And He's the Creator and He spoke all things into existence. In fact, He created you and me. He created humanity and when He created us, He created us as the pinnacle of His creation. And all of it was good. God is the standard and unless we are holy like God, we have no hope of being in right relationship with Him. God is glorious and holy and all have sinned and fallen short of His glory. He's the standard. And the problem is you can look at the whole world and say, it's not good. Yeah, we can all agree on that. All you got to do is turn on the news, right? And you can say, God might be perfect, but the world is not perfect. So what happened? And that's the O, the offense of sin. See, sinful man, perfectly created man 
became sinful man by rejecting God and His Lordship and His Kingship in their lives. And you and I continue to carry that mark in our lives. In fact, all humanity is that way. All have sinned. And the, the danger and the issue of this sin is that it is a sin against a holy God, a good God, a God who loves us. And we've committed cosmic treason against Him. Our offense is that we are now not holy. We're separated from Him. And nothing that we could ever do could restore that relationship. And every single person ever in the history of the earth deals with the same problem. Everyone, every mere human that has ever walked the earth deals with this issue of sin. We are sinners by choice and by our nature. If you've ever noticed, you can't stop sinning just by trying really hard. It's because it is a nature issue. And most of the time you don't want to stop sinning because it's a choice issue. And that's a that's our issue, is we have offended God. The issue with sin is not first that we hurt other people or hurt ourselves. It's that we have offended a holy God. There is severe punishment. God hates sin, and He will not let sin go unpunished. And so we're told that the wages of sin is death. The offense of sin is so bad that God cannot allow it to go on forever. But there is good news, and it's the S, the sufficiency of Christ. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is none righteous, no, not one, but He is the righteous Lamb of God. He was no mere human. He is the Son of God in flesh. God became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. So we have the only Son of God coming to earth as an act of love from God. And as He brings love to us and mercy to us and grace to us, He lives the sinless, perfect life that you and I could never live. And His life is sufficient now for our righteousness. And when He died on the cross, all of His righteousness is given to those who would trust Him in His death on the cross. He's the perfect, righteous Lamb of God. And so we're told that He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So those of us who repent of our sins and trust in Him would have this sufficient sacrifice, this one who took our place, who actually substituted Himself in our place. He is sufficient as a substitute before God so that you and I can be righteous. So that that relationship can be restored. So that our sins can be forgiven. There's great... There's great promises given to us by God. There's great beauty in walking with Him. The holy God loves sinners and He showed His love and that while we were still, still sinners, Christ died for us. That's really good news. And I can go around telling a whole bunch of people that. But I need to be a little more like Jesus in my presentation. I don't want to stop there. I want to ask questions like Jesus asked at the death of Lazarus when He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he asked this question, do you believe this? <laughs> See, there's the necessity of a personal response to this gospel. And that's the P. There has to be a personal response. We all are personally responsible before God. Romans 1 tells us that, there's, that no one escapes 
being culpable when it comes to sin. Even people who have never heard of Jesus are culpable because of their sin, because we're all sinners by nature. That there's none righteous, no, not one. But there's also a necessity for a personal response to this gospel that we hear. And so we're told plainly that this personal response is repentance and faith. That we have to be people who when we hear this gospel and the Lord uses this gospel by His Spirit to awaken us, we should be people who confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That we believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead. That we proclaim that we believe that Jesus is Lord. And when we do that, we can be saved. There's a necessity of a personal response. So I want to tell everybody, do you believe this? Do you want this gift, this free gift? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you want this gift? It's a personal response. And that's the, that's the gospel. You know this gospel. If you've been in church, if you've been around here, we, we proclaim this gospel here all the time. I want you to know this gospel. I want you to love this gospel. I want you to proclaim this gospel as well. And you go, but that's only G-O-S-P. What about the E and the L? Well, the E and L is kind of for us, okay? Here's the E, eternal urgency. Do you realize the sheer number of people on this planet who will die today without hearing Christ? Do you, do you understand on this planet the thousands of people who have died since we walked through these doors? Without ever hearing the name of Christ. There's an eternal urgency, and that urgency is heaven is going to be amazing. And hell is real, and it's hot. And it's full of suffering forever. And it makes it an urgent reality for us to go and to tell people, Matthew twenty-five forty-six, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Hear me, eternal punishment. Do you know how long eternity is? It's really long. It's forever. And then more. This is an urgent reality for the people that we love. Here's the good news. God doesn't leave us as sinners and outcasts. He brings us into His family. There's a real life transformation and a life change. And here's the life change that happens. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old passes away and the new comes. So look at your own heart today. I'm not going to go beyond this room thinking that I need to go to other people to proclaim this gospel. Look at your own heart. Look at your own life. And you say, yeah, 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 I, I believe all that gospel stuff. But you could look at your life and say nothing has changed. Then you don't believe that gospel. This gospel makes us into new creatures. Changes us from the inside out. You know what ultimately this gospel will do? It will change us into the image of Jesus. And what do people who bear the image of Jesus do? They go talk about Jesus. So I ask you, I'll ask you as we close and we get ready to sing, I'll ask you plainly, if Jesus says that we're to go and we're to proclaim and to tell others about Him, and we say 
We're obedient disciples of Jesus, but we don't go tell other people about him. Can we really say we're obedient disciples of Jesus? I mean, we may get nine-tenths of the stuff right, but he's called us to go and make disciples. This is the ultimate struggle in life, isn't it? Which, which part of Jesus do I obey? <laughs> and because I am a finite person in this world and i got a family to take care of and a job to do, which parts do I get to jettison? And you know what? We usually jettison the stuff that we're, we're not good at and <laughs> that are hard. And he says, you don't get to get rid of any of it. Teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. You've got him with you. Abide with him, and he will empower you and impress on you and drive you to obey. But who's that person? I've been asking you for the last few minutes to spend some time thinking about that person. And we're going to sing this song, and this song is going to be a chance for you to move forward because it's always easier to move forward when everybody's standing up, isn't it? Don't wait until after the song's over and service is over and try to be all coy and put them up here and be like, because we'll all know how lame you are if you do that, okay? Because we're going to see it, and I'm going to keep the live stream going just so we catch it on camera, okay? Now, one person is what we're talking about. One person that we're going to say, I'm going to be faithful to pray for this person. I'm going to be faithful to talk to them about Jesus. They need to hear this gospel, and I want to be the one to tell them this gospel. Next time I have lunch with them, next time we grab coffee together. In fact, I'm going to go pursue having coffee with this person just so I can talk to them about Jesus. However the Lord continues to lead you, as you abide in Christ and He impresses on you and changes you into the person who wants to tell everybody about Jesus, this is the person I'm going to start with. You have that person in your heart and put them on that paper. Just the first name. And as we sing, tear off that end. Just come put it up here. And we're going to put these up so that we as a church can be faithful to pray. As a reminder, every time you walk through the building, that we're God's people to go and proclaim His excellencies. 7.67 billion people. How about we take care of 150 or 200 of them as a church? How does that sound? How does that sound? I can only reach a handful. But together, imagine what God's going to do in our county and beyond. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that You would... Help us to rely on you, to abide in you, and to be faithful now to what you've called us to. I thank you for your people, for their willingness to to listen and to respond, and their willingness to serve and to go. Continue to make us faithful in your image, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand together, and we're going to sing.